is Amita Switlow. I'm in Calgary and it's October already. No, September. End of September. September the 22nd. Yeah, September 22nd. It's birthday tomorrow. Oh, happy birthday. So once in a while, I get to hang out with another biologist, and that's very, very cool. Um, his name is Frank Mess. And Frank, you served with QSO in what year? I was in Tanzania from 1969 to 1972. Those were very interesting years in, uh, in East Africa. There was independence, there was East African Union breaking up, very, very different times. Yes, East African Union, when they broke up, mm -hmm. I was going to do my master's in biology with the professor and Nairobi. Okay. But when the university broke up, we you could only do your masters in Dar es Salaam. Okay. And Dar es Salaam at that time didn't have anybody who was qualified to supervise a biology thesis. Oh, I so see. So that's it. There went the thesis. Okay. <laughs> so what did you go to do in Tanzania? I went to work as a wildlife biologist. In what uh, in the Salu Game Reserve? Can you spell that for me? S E L O U S. And it's twenty thousand square miles. And does it exist today? Oh yes. It does. I've never seen. I can tell you a related story. Okay, <laughs> later. He's got good stories. Uh, so. Oh, this one you like. <laughs> so you were were you one of the earlier QSOs in Tanzania? Well, there were, there were already a large Tanzanian you know, group in Tanzania, but when, we, when our group came in in 69, I think we were 106. <gasps> That's a huge amount of number of people. How did you all come by the Canadian Armed Forces jet plane? B-O-A-C. B-O-A-C. <laughs> Free drinks all the way. <laughs> and so you went there, and what were you going to be doing there? Exactly. I was supposed to study yeah. sable antelope. Oh, those are beautiful. I know. And greater kudu antelope. Oh, and so for those of you that don't know what sable and greater kudu am and antelopes are, describe a Google sable. Google them. <laughs> okay. No, sable antelope are, are black with white tatch, patches on their face and scimitar like horns that come way back over their back and they're quite noble looking animals very if you can find them rare at that Not, time they are very shy okay and they'll they'll run if they hear or smell you wow and since the grass is seven feet tall half of the year you have little chance of seeing them so if you're studying them you have to look for the footprints and from there try to find out what were you going to try and find out about them, about their behavior, their range, and things like no, that? No, the, the Sulu Game Reserve was uh, primarily used for big game hunting. Okay. And trophy animals like sable and kudu, they had to know the population dynamics so that they could see what a safe off-take was. Okay. And so, um, Because the, the professional hunters got their clients to shoot them, mm -hmm. but if you could, if you if you weren't shooting the optimum number of any kind of animal, yes. 
then you weren't bringing in as many safaris as you could and uh, earning as much money as you could. Now, when we were there, the, the only two game areas that were self-supporting were uh, Salute Game Reserve and uh, what was it, Arusha National Park, which was like 22 acres or something. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, as a biologist, did you do you did you feel you grew a lot in in that area in your learnings and in my biology field? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I learned that biological research in the field is difficult. No, it's very deceitful. It don't, is. Don't trust the biologist because you've got the the kudu king and the lion king and the and the wildebeest king, and the hyena king, and the <laughs> So, field work is not really, is very complex. Well, people with egos come to the field. Mm. Oh, I see what you mean by and the it's, king. It's, so it's, I see. it's complex from the human side, not from the animal side. Yes. The animals are generally well behaved. Okay, so in your understanding of the sable antelope, um, how are they doing now? Do you know? Well, the the habitat where we were wasn't really prime sable habitat, so they're still there, but there'll never be great herds of them because it's just... Were there ever great herds of them in other parts of Africa? Yeah. In the Serengeti? No, they, they, they're in bushland. They're bush, they're bush animals, okay. It's... Uh, eat them. That's why you're Canopy saying of seven feet of grass. That you, you got, you have tree, a tree canopy, and then you have grass, different species of wild grasses underneath, and uh, they. So, so, so you stayed there for uh, several years, three years, but your career in international development didn't end there, did it? You no. continued on. It's uh, well in in the game reserve. You didn't just do biology. Oh, tell me more. You were administrator. Yes. You were father confessor. <laughs> you were money lender. You organized and ran the co-op. Yeah. You. What else did we do? Were you doctor? Oh yeah. Doctor, doctor lots of gonk. I, I was doctor until Bob came. Bob was a vet, so he's more qualified to doctor than I was. <laughs> and you used the word gonk. What's that? Well, it's not gonorrhea. <laughs> Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, and uh, boys. <laughs> and you had to do anti-poaching patrols. Yes. And poaching prosecution, and <laughs> you had to do everything. So, so. So you learned to do everything. Was it a good experience for you? Oh yeah, I had a, I had a great time. Of the three years I spent, probably two and a half years living in a tent in the bush. And uh, of that two and a half years, he spent three years sick. <laughs> was he not well? Every disease known to man he had. Really? Well, Malaria? Uh, anthrax was the first one. Oh Malaria my God. Uh, <laughs> elephantiasis. You got that? Yeah. No, no, I got treated. It's okay. No heart I haven't got my... He got bilharzia too? No, no, I didn't get Bilharzia, I got schistosomiasis. Yes. Bilharzia is a misnomer. 
Belazar was a French biologist, and he saw the animal in one part of its cycle, and he called it Bilharzia. Okay. But it had already been de described as schistosomiasis. So you had that, and yeah. what else? All the dysenteries. Okay. <laughs> it's the, well, you know, you, you get everything. But you still managed to live two and a half years in a tent. Well, yeah, it's a much safer place to live. It's when you live around other people that you get sick. <laughs> <laughs> so you finished uh, your service. Um, name me some of the people that you were friends with at the time that were with you. In Tanzania? Yes. Like? Africans? Yeah. Mchigagi, Marambe. Mchigagi Mfaume. He was my game scout. One of my game scouts. Do you know anything about how he is now? No. Okay. In, um, in 1979, I was back in Tanzania for, for, for Sita. Yes. And I'd ridden ahead and arranged a reunion with the guys. In the New Africa for morning tea. <laughs> yes. And uh, a whole pile of them showed up. Did they? Yeah. Yep. Well, hey, I was spying, so I don't know. But uh, several of the guys had worked with Bob, and Bob, you know, keeps saying, "Well, like I, you know, I never did anything." Well, one of the guys was now working in uh, the chimpanzee reserve, and he was telling this story. The first thing that they had to do was put on their uniforms and go and throw rocks at the chimpanzees. Because when, what's her name, Jane Goodall. Goody, Goody, Goody Two Shoes Goodall was there, she was very anal retentive about uniforms. Okay. And the chimpanzees were familiar with uniforms, and uniforms could be trusted. Oh, so they'd come so up So in the you. winter, in the rainy season, all the people would come out of the game reserve, and then the poachers would get into their canoes and put on their uniforms and row out to the island and the chimpanzees would come and jump into their arms. Oh my and that's how they were, they were poached. Wow. So the first thing they had to teach the chimpanzees was to disrespect uniforms. Wow. So all these years later you are hanging out <laughs> with Bob. With Bob. Tanzania Bob. Yeah. Any other friends from the Kiso days that you remember? Well, from Canada. Um, what's his name? Um, we were talking Henning. about. Yeah, we were talking about Ken Riley. Ken Riley. Okay. He knew Ken Riley from university days. Yeah. And Ken Riley was in my group that went out to East Africa. Okay. And Ken Riley's story. <clears throat> I wrote to Ken, and I said, Ken. These are the conditions we have here in Slough Game Reserve. Can you um, <clears throat> recommend a corn variety? And can you send me a sample? So he sent me a sample, a kilo, one kilo sample of corn. So I brought it to the guys and I said, what do you think it is? And then Chigagi, my game scout, said, oh, we're going to love this. And I said, why? He said, well, it's all white. It wasn't the yellow corn, which is what they used to get fed by the Germans as slave food. It was, it, was a, it was a white corn, <laughs> not Sunday. from German days. Better. Sunday. 
Oh, I see. That's a good Ken Riley story. But you see, like that sort of was your first introduction to. There's other criteria, there's social criteria, and not just production criteria that are important to people. That's why people would accept something or yeah. not. So, oh, again, I'm just saying this again. All these years later, when you think back at, of your time in Tanzania with QSO, what would you say? It's our 50th anniversary coming up. What would I say? Mm -hmm. You know, be nice if there was a program that let some of us who couldn't otherwise afford it go back and see what it's like now. Well, you might have that opportunity at the 50th in Vancouver. <laughs> it's uh, no, no. It's just you know, like one of the questions you asked was, do you know how Mchigagi's doing right now? Well, he's probably dead, but you never know. You never know. You know, like he uh, he'd been. The reason he didn't come to when we had the reunion in 79 was because he'd been sent to Tabora to do a job. Oh. Because uh, when I was there, I collected bird specimens for the museum in Canada, and I taught him Chigani on how to preserve specimens and everything. And then he went and studied at the African Wildlife College, and then he became bird collector. Oh, really? So. And then he got sent to northern Tanzania to collect and to, to train people there. So, You know, I often hear from return volunteers that they don't think they made a darn difference. And when I hear stories like that, I'm telling you that you did make it, a difference. It's, it's an argument Bob and I have all the time. I keep telling him, Bob, you made a difference. Bob, we're going to talk to Bob next. But <laughs> it know? was just fabulous. But it's... it's uh, we don't have the imagination to see what difference we made. And we never had a chance to go back and see that we made a difference. You know, we, we, we came back to an uncaring bureaucracy in Canada, and there's no, really no other way of describing it. I mean, this is the first time anybody's ever made a, any kind of effort to Hear your that I've heard about that, to find out what we did, what we thought we did. Well, we, you yeah. the most important thing about the 50th is to, for me anyway, and for the organization, is to gather those stories. Because you are part of our history. You contributed, in your case, three years of your life. And uh, that contributed to the 36 million hours yeah. that many served. And Frank, spelt with a C, <laughs> and mess without two S's. It's not a four-letter word. <laughs> Thank you so much for your service from all of us at QSO DSO.